Welcome to this episode of Untribal Politics Podcast with Innes. My name is Guy, and I'm happy to be sponsoring this episode on behalf of Precision Spirits, a small batch Edinburgh-based distillery who are always innovating on gin, delivering on flavour, and challenging tradition. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today I'm joined by Head of Public Affairs for Karen Adam. He's an LGBTQ plus activist, ADHD awareness, a long-term campaigner for a fair and equal Scotland. It's Josh Many, ladies and gents. How are you doing today, Josh? You all right? I'm doing really well. I'm actually really exhausted after a long day of work. <laughs> I think I've done just about all of those today as well. So, right. I not bad. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. And uh, what's been tiring about work? Was that, was that your work with Karen or? Yeah, uh, it's always long hours with, with, with Karen and a lot, of, a lot of work on as well. But I, yeah, pretty much. What do you actually do for a day, day with Karen? Do you... Day to day, my gosh, everything. Like in our office, we've got a lot of sort of like part-time staff. So we kind of break up. We've got like a community engagement team. We've got a casework team. We've got Karen's parliament team. Well, a team could be like one person, to be honest. <laughs> Break down with remits, then, you know, the day-to-day run in the office. But a really busy office, actually. We were really focusing, like, generating casework, especially in, like, cost of living stuff at the moment. Right. We're just trying to help as much folk as possible. And we're literally knocking, we're knocking folks' doors and everything to drum up casework and engage with, like, current constituents, which I think is really important as well. So, aye. Nice. Nice. And and what do what do you do yourself in your in your spare time? What's your what's your passion in life besides the the political world world? My passion in life. Oh my god! I used to um. Probably, I should probably get a life because it politics people <laughs> consuming. It is pretty all consuming, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I go out with my pals all the time. I, I very much keep my political life. I try and separate as much as possible. So I've got loads of pals who aren't involved in politics, which. Is refreshing because you you kind of need that to keep you grounded mm. as well and out of the bubble, which I find to be really helpful for me to keep perspective. And like, right, normal folk aren't talking about this in their day to day life, and you know the the latest scandal in politics, which is one a new one every single day, isn't uh, <laughs> the end of the world. So I was like, I it's, it's yeah, pretty- I feel like you kind of get you, you sort of get all consumed in the in the Twitter sphere, don't you? It, it, it's just Twitter, isn't it? Like t- Twitter is just the most toxic place in the world. <laughs> Twitter, yeah. I mean, I've made a, a few mishaps in the past on Twitter, trying to have lighthearted jokes, and it's never hasn't always been interpreted as it was intended. So I, uh, yeah, I keep my tight sense of humor off of Twitter now. Um, and just try and keep it to positive engagement and just just posting updates on what I'm doing or or whatever you know so because Twitter yeah it's just toxic and hostile and I'm I'm kind of off it a wee bit now mm. I barely post on it anymore and I've got a, a, a little a, a nice little following but I just don't seem to do much because yeah it's not reflect a real life to be honest I feel like if you even put one sort of minor foot wrong you can get absolutely like pelters for it for weeks on end and all that it's just not even worth it is it yeah i i think so as well especially some of the stuff that i've seen i think especially there's probably more of a focus on women lgbt folk especially in this climate when you know there's been this huge debate over the existence of trans people living their life day to day which is to me has been mental because 
it, well, this wasn't such a huge deal five, ten years ago. You know, I thought we'd go over this. Um, but I, so there's, there's this big focus on women and LGBT folk and also the likes of my friend Fatma Joji, who's a Bain woman. Um, I know a, a, a Bain woman who's uh, a Muslim as well. The amount of abuse she faces too is mental. Crazy. Yeah, so I'm just like, yeah, I, t- I always tell my pals, listen, stay off of Twitter. <laughs> it's worth it. I've made, I've I've lived and learned. I'm off it basically. You no, know, barely. I don't I don't even scroll that much through it anymore either. Hmm. And but what do you think of this? Um, you know, I've seen a lot of things on Twitter recently about the, you know, the the LG and B wanting a divorce from from the trans community. What? Yeah. What is that about? <laughs> I mean, I I feel like it comes from you know a very a very sort of staunch camp of feminists that feel like that there's a real um risk to to the to the rights being engaged by this i mean it's not as, as you said it's not a new phenomenon you know trans people we, we've always had this if you said five ten years ago we we didn't really bother about a couple of years ago it wasn't really a thing uh, we it's, well, it's a couple all... years ago, i i was kind of in the midst of it so i i sort of disengaged from the whole grr debate um on a personal level well a frontline level should i say a couple of years ago because I found, you know, back in 2018, no, 2019, sorry, back in 2019, I, along with a few other sort of senior SNP activists, we kind of cobbled together to relaunch the SNP's LGBT wing in their party, uh, which was called uh, Out for Independence. And it was to sort of, because we kind of found this growing sense of anti-trans rhetoric, which was kind of baffling at the time. We're like, okay, there's an issue going on here. We should probably start educating SNP members and folk in the party about what the, the Gender Recognition Act and reforms were at the time. Um, so we, we like travelled across country in Scotland after we set up Out for Independence, educating members, because um, it was the sort of rumblings of the, this is interfering with women's rights. Um, when we're like, no, it's not doing that. What it's actually doing is, you know, simplifying a process at a, a process where trans people sign a statutory declaration on, on to change their gender. Um, so most folk were like, "All right, fair enough," you know. Um, and we also try to get the SNP to address the the transphobia. The folks about an absolute shite about <laughs> trans people back then. We're like, "Listen, if you deal with it now, essentially, you know, you'll root it out, and you'll, as the party in government, you know, you'll you'll set a, a precedent say, you know, being transphobic isn't um, acceptable." Um, but the SNP totally failed to deal with the transphobia. I don't think it's a secret saying that. You know, I was like, I was on the this, the the NEC of the party at the time, and every time I was raising it, people were going, "Guys, by the way, you know, there, there seems to be this growing trend of transphobia and anti-LGBT rhetoric in the party. Let's deal with it." And it was kind of like audible gap, audible sighs and idols at the time. You know, oh, here's Josh Many talking about trans issues or. LGBT issues again. Um, so after that, you know, I did a couple of years. Stint. I think I've done almost three years altogether in the NEC, two of which was consumed by GRR. Um, and I just thought, you know what, stuff this, I'm out. I yeah, like, I mean, I, 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 I think it's been handled really poorly, even by, you know, activists of, you know, that bill and, and the people that have been sticking up for trans people more generally. I think for the amount of time that, you know, it's been it's been building up for the amount of time it's sort of been in Parliament and discussion. Um, I feel like the politicians, certainly advocates of it, have been very unprepared for questions about it. Like I literally just seen 
uh, today, Rachel Hamilton from the Conservatives retweeting Neil Gray, who was on the radio. And I mean, it doesn't help that, you know, there's been a ulterior agenda for sensational and overblown sort of media questions to uh, like, the you know, the, the constant referral to the Isle of Bryson case, for example. Um, but even still, like, you know, politicians should be prepared for this. Like we've, it's been on, it's been an issue long enough. As I said, it's been consulted on long enough. We should be ready for these kind of questions. And even if we are asking the wrong questions, like things like, can a woman have a penis? That does my nothing, man, that question, because it's not even what we should be discussing. What should we be discussing is in terms of this issue specifically. Is... To me, it's weird. This obsession with folks' genitals is pretty f- weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that was that's weird in itself. But I, I feel like the question that we should be asking is: Can someone be w- ro- born in the wrong body? And, yeah. and 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 to that question, the the answer is undoubtedly yes. We we, we can see intersex people that don't come into these binary camps of men and and women and everything. This grouping of bodily organs that we have traditionally defined as men and women, and also, we have a complicated relationship with a mental phenomena that wholeheartedly biology cannot explain. And, I, you know, I feel like these are, you know, qu- quite well-known arguments. If you even look at the biology, for example, you've got genes like uh, FOXL2, you've got the SRI gene. There's a couple of others that contribute to the development of things like ovaries that, you know, could undermine this simplified view of uh, chromosomes XX and chromosomes XY. Why aren't politicians prepared to answer these kind of questions? Why aren't they even diverting it back yeah. to the try a conversation that we should be having? Because it's been long enough, even since the media blow up six months ago. How, how are these politicians not prepared for these questions? Folk were terrified because they they wanted to you know they wanted to be seen to walk between these two camps who were going at it at each other. You know, one camp was, and I I don't I don't subscribe to the idea that there is two sides to this. I see. I view as, you know, there's very much, um, yes, there were a few folk who did have valid concerns as the, that sort of uh, phrase was banded about because of the ludicrous statements that are being banded around by um, the anti-trans people. But one side was definitely an oppressor and one side was definitely a, the oppressed saying they were terrified about existing and what society was going to look like if, you know, their existence is under question. It's terrifying, you know. But going back to the whole self ID thing, um, like my friend Finley McFarlane, who's a counsellor in Edinburgh uh, now, but he put up a big Twitter post ages ago, uh, sometime either the start of this year, or the end of last year, breaking down the GRR and the self ID thing, and he was like, you know, does question trans people's um, right to self-ID, you know, is, is a bit daft because I'm a gay man who self-IDs as gay. Like, how how can you question how my mind is, essentially, and who I am, essentially? Only I know. And it's it's the same for me. I'm a, I'm a gay man, and I self-ID as a gay man every single day of my life. You know, I don't have to justify it and defend myself all the time to, yeah. to people, you know. And, and also, there, I mean, on the flip side, you could say, you know, you know, you know, sexuality is a spectrum. Like the, the, these sort of camps that we have of, you know, gay, bisexual, and straight. Sometimes that isn't helpful for people, and that's okay as well. You know, you don't have to, you know, abide by these traditional binary conceptions we have of people's sexuality. For example, people could just say, you know what, you know, I have sex with who I want, and I don't really care. Do you know what I mean? That's that's also like fine as well. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So. But and and you know, you said you're a gay man in in Scotland. How do you feel as a gay man in Scotland? Do you feel like your rights are 
are protected in Scotland? Do you feel like you can be uh, free in yourself in Scotland these days? Or do you think there is still issues that we need to address for the LGBTQ community? Um, sticky one. Um, it definitely feels like there's rumblings of um, something not good. Um, essentially, looking over to America, um, you know, traditionally the UK has always been at like three, four, five years behind American trends when it comes to politics, you know, in terms of GRR and that crazy um, phrasing around, you know, how students identifying as cats in schools having to put out litter trays and stuff like that. <laughs> Nuts. And folk were to say this to, this to me in the streets, and I'm going, oh, no, that isn't true. Like, they literally ran about a thousand of those stories in America. It's been debunked a million times and just been regurgitated again in Scotland, you know? So, anyway, so as a gay man, what do I think? Um, definitely, I've seen uh, people become more emboldened against gay people. Like, I'm literally June court in May because I was attacked in December on a night out. Oh, no, you're kidding. For being, yeah, literally for being gay. Well, it was, it was uh, this guy, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll go into it because it's an ongoing thing. But yeah, basically because I'm gay, I got attacked by a couple of lads in, in uh, on a night out, which was a bit... which is happening more often with folk um so yeah to me personal level there's real life implications to uh the rhetoric of our political leaders you know not just in the snp but across every political party um what our political leaders act and say and do and condone does have real life implications for folk you know everyone's got a gay pal a gay relative gay friend whatever you know all know gay folk nowadays who are live our lives you know just normal day to day so if, if you do care about your your friends and that who are lgbt or gay or whatever and just didn't put up with the the shite and stand up for trans people as well because you know if we let one of those um any sort of member of the lgbt community fall essentially or to abandon the t in the lgbt then who's next that's you know, right. it's like that, it's like that song. If you tolerate this, your children will be next. Manic Street Features. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it, man. Absolutely. I mean, I, as someone that I've always find it difficult speaking about these issues because I don't, you know, I'm I'm not in, you know, these these communities that have been affected. But also, I, I feel like I want to stick up for these people, so I also feel impassioned to to speak about these things as well. But I understand that it is difficult. Um, Jake, we've Jake, we've went backwards since since Brexit in terms of how we treat marginalised people in Scotland. Because I feel like, certainly in the lead up to the 2014 uh, independence campaign, there was a sense of like momentum and uh, positivity about the potential for Scotland to be this, you know, equal and inclusive society. And we felt like we were really going somewhere and, and, and progressing these kind of things. Do you think we went backwards since, since Brexit in terms of the culture that is now in Scotland? And if you could have just stopped that, have we gone back since Brexit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, we've become this weird isolationist nation. Um, you know, literally, the way Scotland's been treated since Brexit alone um, is is one issue. But since have we gone culturally back? Uh, I don't know, because there, there's always... In, in society, when we are improving the rights of minorities or marginalised groups, there's always this sort of pushback before we sort of overcome it. Um, so I'm, I, I, I am confident we're going to overcome it. 
Um, I mean, elect Hamza Youssef as our first being first minister of Scotland. Wow, what an achievement! Um, obviously, it's like he was he was elected on his record as a successful government minister, cabinet secretary, etc. Um, you know, but yeah, I think we have gone back, but I think it's temporary, and I, I I'm confident we'll overcome it and win. Because look at the the trends in like Gen Z and Gen Alpha coming up. You know, they're so progressive, so open minded. You know, we literally slag off boomers all the time for being boomers, <laughs> um, for just having stupid, outdated, bigoted views. Essentially, it's like, oh, come on. Mm. So, yeah. fair enough. Well, and and speaking of that leadership contest, what what did you think of that? Yeah, as as an as an SNP member, were were you were you proud of that leadership contest? Even obviously, you're delighted at the outcome. Um, what did you think of that period of time for the SNP? Um. <laughs> was I proud of it? I was proud of how Hamza conducted himself. Um, I can't say the same for uh, the other two candidates. I was really disappointed, to be honest, um, in how they conducted the campaign and ran it and were beefing against a government they served in, essentially, you know, um, literally when you're put through candidate assessment to run as a councillor or MSP, um, part of uh, that is, the part of the assessment is, you know, being able to work as a team and not criticise your team because you come to decisions and follow them through collectively. Um, and it's something that SNP has been very successful at in the past is being this solidified unit. And it, it always helped the SNP's electoral success, I think, because we're, our messaging was always clear to the electorate. This is what we believe in, this is what we stand in, this is, this is what we'll deliver for you. And that's kind of been muddied a little bit, well not a little bit, it's been muddied a lot um, by some of the things Kate Forbes and Ash Vegan were saying during the leadership election. Um but yeah I am delighted with that. I am delighted with the outcome. I'm delighted Humza was elected and um he's actually surpassed my expert expectations of how he's listened and engaged and um he's already looking at how to you know make a few changes, basically come into his own role lead lead as, as his own man essentially you know um because he was branded as the con continuity candidate and he's he's not continued Nicola Sturge's legacy he's built upon it I think um so I am pretty pleased yeah I've been impressed with him in, in FMQs certainly to be fair I think he's conducted himself well um there is a lot of sturgeon about him some of his mannerisms and stuff and learn from the best why not um and I think it was always going to take a little bit of time getting used to someone that wasn't at the calibre of someone like Nicola Sturgeon in that post. But I certainly think he's done pretty well so far anyway. And you'd think he would grow into that role more. Um, I just wonder, do, do you think he's got a mandate to be in that role? Do, you know, do, Considering how many members didn't vote for Hamza Youssef, do you think that there was... I mean, I think if you include the... Uh, total count of members that didn't vote as well. I think only a third of the SNP membership actually voted for Hamza. Yeah, I mean, um, I would say yes. I, I think the big difference between what happened at the UK government level and the Scottish government level is that Hamza Yusuf's continuing on with the manifesto we're, we're elected to deliver. Um, whereas, you know, the Conservative uh, UK government were wiped it, chopped and changed it a thousand times. It's gone, you know. 
um, when you know Liz Truss and um, Rishi and that were elected into it. So yeah, big <laughs> none of us need reminding of that to be fair, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll there as well. Yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think it'll it'll be all to play for next year. How 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 do you see Hamza doing at the next general election? The UK general election. I don't know because obviously uh, what's going on in the press at the moment with the SNP, um, with the police investigation uh, ongoing. Um, so that'll obviously impact because people are asking questions um, about what's going on there. It's an ongoing police investigation. We're also halfway through a term and Hums is a new leader in the role. So after all those things, there's usually a slump in the polls, which we're seeing now. Um, but after... So I just imagine, you know, once Hamza comes into his own, it takes time for the public to actually see that. You know, I, I get a feel for it before others do because I'm sort of in those political circles um, and kind of following political Scottish news all the time. Um, but once that sort of leaks out into everyday life in the press and, you know, the, the, this scand, current scandal dies down, then I imagine we'll see a, a, a good rise because Hamza's obviously very competent. Um, from what I I've seen and know of them, so I think uh, the public will see that as well. And how um, how how is how is mood in the camp as well? I I know it's obviously an ongoing police investigation, so we can't comment on that specifically. Mm-hmm. And we've been very clear on tribal that we're not going to do that. I can't say the same for other media outlets, but that <laughs> is one for them to answer for. Uh, but obviously, there's been a lot of disruption. Um, we can we can say that in a, a sort of vague and general uh, sense. What is mood? How is the mood within the caps? Certainly within the circles that you're in, do you still feel like the the, the SNP people come out in a in a stable and confident position, or do you think there's still a lot of turbulence still to go? Yeah, I I'm confident we'll we'll overcome it. The mood in the camps that that I'm in is, I think. I don't know. I think folk are just waiting and seeing, hanging fire to see what happens. But I, I mean, a lot of folk have faith in the fact that the SNP's, you know, always been a sort of honest party. And that's what we've sort of reflected in while we've we'll been in government. Our policies have always reflected that. Um, so obviously, I can't comment on the, the investigation or anything, but I am confident we'll overcome this. And I think, you know, given time, Will will earn back every vote, essentially. You know that that people are sort of spitting over. So yeah, nice one. And what brought you to the SNP? What what gives you so much confidence in, in your party? And, and what why? brought me to the SNP? Do you want to know, do you want to know my, my journey into the SNP? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was actually studying at the time. Um, I think I was like nineteen years old. Uh, back in 20, 2013, 2014 when the independence referendum was happening, and my family were staunch Labour supporters. Um, we had a portrait of the Queen and a Union Jack in our back garden. You're kidding. And uh, I was studying at the time, doing social sciences, and um, I remember, you know, I, I'd all been kind of politically engaged because my mum was sort of run us on, like, having these strong moral old Labour values and brought up in this working-class area. And um, during the referendum, I remember me and my sister Jessica, who's a counsellor in Aberdeen now, um, we had this discussion, like, all of a sudden, let's go and do some research to strengthen our arguments on better together. And um, so we both agreed, we, we did that, and sort of went away. And a couple of weeks later, 
after doing research, you know, same with, with look at both sides and open mind and everything. I came back to Jessica and I was like, Jessica, I've done I've done loads of research and I, you know, I, I can't justify voting no. I'm gonna vote yes. And wow. she was like, oh my God, me too. <laughs> yeah, so I came to that. And I got involved really naively into the SNP um after the day after the referendum. I, I was one of those people that joined the day after um, the result. And I got involved in 2015 very naively, not knowing, um, thinking the best of people, essentially. But I got involved by um, what happened. Oh, I remember Karen Adam, who's now an MSP, my boss. So me and Karen know, have known each other basically our whole lives because she was a, a Mormon and I was raised a Mormon as well. Oh, no, um, okay. Yeah, in that sort of cult. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, you use that word, not me. Uh, for yeah, the I, I use that. I use that word. Um, but yeah, so Karen was a Mormon. I was based a Mormon. We're, we're in that sort of Mormon circle. She also lived in the same street as me, um, coincidentally. So anyway, she she moved away by this point. We no longer lived in the same street, and I seen her campaigning out for, um, Mister uh, Mister Salmon at the time. <laughs> June the twenty fifth was it twenty fifteen? Yeah, it was that election. Um, and I was like, oh, I want to get involved. I want to do what you're doing. You know, like I, I thought going to rally when that flag was campaigning. And I messaged Cardis saying, how do I do what you're doing? Because she kept posting photos with her out with Alex Salmond, chopping doors and helping the SNP. Because I was, like, I want to help independence essentially. So she was like, come out with me and I'll show you. And you know, that was pretty much it. The rest is history. Now we're yes. ahead of. Public affairs. <laughs> I want. I, I want to take you back to that research that you did that uh, with your sister. What what swayed oh, yeah. you? What swayed you at that point? Do you know what it was? I I started looking. So it was Jessica. We did we did our own in, research independently, and what swayed it for me was um I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was on. I remember what website I was on, and it wasn't the Wings Over Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't them. It Thank was God business, for that. <laughs> it was business for Scotland. Business for Scotland. Um, yeah, and I actually remember I had a meeting with Gordon McIntyre Kemp when we were launching Aberdeen's independence movement. Um, and I, I got to sit down and tell him, like, Gordon, you and Business for Scotland are actually the organisation that, like, turned me to vote yes, you know? Wow. And he's like, oh, I remember his, his face lit up. He's like, wow, that's amazing, you know? So I was glad I got to tell him that, but it was, it was something on their website. I was reading through all these facts and figures about Scotland's economy because I was of that belief that Scotland was subsidised and with a shite economy and with no potential. Everything's shit in Scotland. So are people, and kind of that's what that's what we're fed and told their whole lives by um, Westminster essentially. And then yeah, after looking at some of their research and work, I thought, wow. That led on to more things and the more things and I just did it for me. I'd encourage you to listen to our recording with David Hoods that uh, we released on Monday. He's he was one of the earliest members of Business for Scotland. Uh, oh, really? So um, that's uh that's it, it, honestly it felt like a a history lesson that was just it was just absolutely brilliant. I'd, I'd very much encourage you to listen to it. And oh, of course, you. everyone listening today. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, it's absolutely yeah, great hour with him. I, I'm I'm wondering as well about your your Mormon background. Is that is that something you've carried through your your later life or? Well, when I left that cult, I joined another one in the SNP. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> I mean, I am, some I people would agree with you there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. It's my crap sense of humor I spoke about earlier. <laughs> um, my Mormon background, so my family actually 
so when I was born, my family were very active Mormons um, in the church. There's two church Mormon churches in Aberdeen, or the the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. The name is uh, in, but they they kind of became inactive when I was about five years old, um, and it was kind of because of me they became inactive because I was I was treated very differently because. Um, obviously there's crazy ADHD kids running around the church and also I've got Tourette syndrome as well so I right, had, okay. had quite intense tics back then right? Um, th- that were kind of disruptive to the Sunday school lessons so I was always like too outside to sit and sit still and all sort of stuff That's such a shame. Which, which, I just, which I couldn't do at all um, and then my mum my just wasn't happy with the way I'd been treated uh, there's a few other issues as well, became inactive but that sort of even though they became inactive, um, and that kind of stayed because you, you would have seen maybe a lot of the Mormon missionaries out in the streets, or they go chopping doors and stuff, and they essentially teach people about Mormonism. So I'd all, often have those elders, they're called, come to my home and teach me weekly. So that I did that until I was pretty much fourteen, but I'd always had questions about it. I'd never sort of, I'd always had a, they'd always told you like, oh, if you, if you pray hard enough and have enough faith, like God will speak to you and you'll get signs from God. And I just met, so I, I would try and pray, follow their advice, read certain parts of the Bible or they become Mormon and I'd pray on it as they'd, so, they'd said. And I never felt I got that sign from God. Um, So I just always had these sort of like, no, I, I can't force myself to believe in something I just don't essentially believe in. Like, how do you go about doing that? Otherwise, you're sort of deluding yourself. Mm. I, I did detach from it, but I, I still kind of maintain my belief in God until I was about 21, 22 years old when I was studying um, social sciences, you know, studying sociology, psychology, um, philosophy actually helped me unravel my religious beliefs. And I, I kind of came to understanding of how religions passed on through generations and primary and secondary socialization. I was like, oh, so that's how it happened. And that's why I, I've been brainwashing it this way of thinking as well. And I is think it, that So it's it's, it's interesting that you say that because I I almost had the, the opposite effect, right? So I remember um a couple of Mormons came to speak to me in Glasgow. Um I used to I used to live there for about six years and I was always really interested because when I used to read about philosophy. I was I was sort of brought up an atheist because um, my parents sort of just wanted me to have that choice whenever I was sort of old enough to have that choice. And whenever I sort of read about it and like the arguments for design and all these sort of intricacies of the of the of the human and natural world that couldn't possibly be, you know, dictated by this, you know, scientific uh, explanation of of the world. I was always drawn to that. I was actually like, I was, I almost had like the the opposite journey to you have because I was like, oh god, I actually agree with all this. I'm like really drawn to all this, and it's 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 funny because whenever you know I, I hear about these stories, I find it interesting because I'm always I'm always drawn towards it, which is which is always a bit strange for someone certainly in my generation. So what do you would you say, a religious or atheist or what? Um, so I'm I, I would call myself an agnostic. Um, I would also call myself like a modern Christian in that I don't necessarily believe that the teachings of the Bible is necessarily the right characterization of of what they were trying to preach, but I nonetheless agree with what the teachings are, if that makes sense. And I 
believe the nice, nice teachings though what Jesus taught essentially he's, he was a nice peaceful man yeah no <laughs> exactly doesn't mean he's the son of a deity that created everything and yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and what they were teaching the sort of moral principles that have sort of like seen through the ages. You know, I, I believe morality is is like a feeling. It's like a something that we all have. It's 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 not something that we can sort of rationally decide in our heads. It, it comes from that sort of feeling inside of us. And I don't think it's you know coincidental that the the teachings of the Bible, you know, the the, the Ten Commandments, for example that still resonates quite strongly in today's society. Like, we all know cheating is oh, bad. Yeah. For for whatever reason, it still gives us that, like, horrible feel. When we hear about someone who's cheated, you're just like, oh, you that's horrible. Like, and I, I still think there's a lot about what the Bible teaches that I think is very valuable in today's society. And I think if it was just modernized in the way it was characterized, then I still think it would be really beneficial. And um, I, know, I, I know this is sort of you know quite out there for someone my age anyway because i whenever i speak to people about this they're a bit like i write like whatever um but actually the metaphysical arguments as well for for the the existence of the world and and nature i, I actually agree with it it's, it's it's mental but i i actually believe in that in these arguments for design for example the teleological argument things like that i actually my my feelings resonate stronger with that that than the Big Bang, for example, which is mad. <laughs> well, I think they basically proved the Big Bang kind of didn't happen now with the whole James Webb Telescope stuff. Anyway, like they've, they've kind of have you have you looked into this stuff by the way? I've, I've not looked at it because I'm a, I'm about to go mental on my computer. I right? am like... obsessed. <laughs> yeah. so they, they think oh, I can't explain it. Physics. I watch I watch hours and hours of this stuff almost every single day. Like these physics physics videos about James Webb Telescope in space, right? And the, the possibility of there being a fourth dimension last year, you know, their um, three scientists won the Nobel Prize for proving that the universe isn't locally real. Wow. Like, basically, like, reality isn't what we think it is, essentially. Explain that one. And I've tried to watch <laughs> videos on this for hours at a time, thinking, oh, I'm trying to get my mind around it. But I, I, I'm, I kind of accept that, you know, we are creatures on this little rock in space and we can't even comprehend what the hell's going on essentially but that doesn't i think that kind of probably would more go toward disproving a deity um more than anything i mean if if something did create us i don't think it'd be a god no um, it'll be some sort of external force that we'll never be able to conceive of do you know what I mean and i think that's less arrogant yeah. than saying no, but it's obviously no. Like, just look at the science. I, I think that's, I think that's more ignorant than saying, look, there probably was some sort of external force, but we're never going to be able to conceive of that. But if we look at the sort of forces in nature that we could, we can understand and and, and make sense of. Like, I even think like the, the I even think, feel like there's a spiritual world out there, and I don't think that comes out of me being daft or anything. I I, I genuinely believe that, and I think if you believe in in these spiritual like. You know, people would call it coincidences, but like I believe in ghosts, for example. Uh, and, and this might sound crazy, but honestly, I remember being at my my ex girlfriend's house, right? And uh, honestly, this is uh, it's just mental. So basically, we were sitting there, and she was in this flat that she had in in the west end of Glasgow, and she used to tell me about all these ghost ghost stories and stuff about how she used to come in and there used to be like clothes all over the floor and all that. And I was a bit like, 
uh, like I, I was listening to her and like a fancy of the death day, so I was just like, I ah, know I believe you and all that, but I didn't actually believe it at the time. And then, you know, and, and her flatmates like told me about stories about like knocking on the walls and like the ghosts used to knock back the same amount of knocks and all this. I was like, this is mental. Like, you are definitely just steaming or something. Eh? And then, um, we were sitting in this pub one day and um, we were just chatting away to these people, just randoms. And they happened to live in the in the flat that they were living in at the time. And the first thing they said to them with no prompt whatsoever was, is it still haunted? Because they had their own experiences. And that's when I sat down, I was like, whoa, okay, that's a wee bit weird. Anyway. Building, come on. No, but no, listen, so, and then three weeks later, so I'm sitting at the edge of my beds uh, with her, right? We're just sitting, chatting away. And then there was this wardrobe about like five yards away from us. And it felt like, it, honestly, this mad sound came out the wardrobe. It, it sounded like someone was inside, like, shuriking themselves inside the wardrobe. It was, I, I literally, like, turned to her in absolute disbelief. And she was like, this happens all the time. I sprinted over to the wardrobe, opened it, nothing was there. And I was like, nah, I am, nah. <laughs> that is absolutely mental. And from that day on, I've always believed in ghosts. And I've had another couple of stories, but I won't go into that. But yeah, I, I generally believe there is a spiritual world out there. I believe in things like karma. And I think if you believe in these things, you also <laughs> believe that there is a deeper world to us that we probably can't comprehend and that, and that things like science that, that can't fully you know, dictate to us. Do you, do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, because I used to believe in it as well. <laughs> um, I, you know, what would maybe be considered the spiritual world, I, I would probably be like, oh, it's probably the fourth dimension that we, we as three-dimensional beings can't conceive or comprehend uh -huh. um watch neil degrasse tyson if you're looking at the fourth dimension he explains he would... it so well okay nice yeah definitely um, he, he, he explains it in layman's terms that i can i can understand but, it, but, it, but do you also think it, by accepting there's a fourth dimension we you also expect the post like you know the possibility that there is a kind of spiritual <laughs> world that, uh... yeah the, the possibility but i think it's so minute that we have we've guessed this oh, a spiritual world you know and there's spirits and ghosts and beings that used to be alive they're beings that have been transported into this invisible realm that doesn't ex exist in our reality no i don't buy into that at all but, but i do accept it's a possibility it's so minute though that's like point billion one of a percentage that could actually be probably more that i, I just wouldn't believe in it I think. so see see when see when you're See when your body dies, do you think that your your sort of soul and your mental phenomena dies with you, or do you think that goes somewhere else? Yeah, so this is like existential crisis mode in this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I do believe that. I don't <laughs> want to believe in that. That's why I tried so hard to believe in a, the religion and a god and all the rest of it. But I just don't believe in it. I don't yeah. believe. I can't force myself to believe in something I just don't believe in, which yeah. is annoying because I would love to believe in an afterlife, and I hope I'm wrong. Honestly, I I I believe in it. Like I I think our there's so much about the mind body problem and our relationship between you know what's up here and and the physical organs attached to it. I think there's so much that we haven't explained yet, and I can't get my head around a physical being dying and that all that mental phenomena just disappearing. Like I I I feel like that has That's, to go somewhere. Yeah, because it's we can't really comprehend us not existing any, any anymore. But like. Tell me a story about something. Tell me an experience you had before you were born. You can't yeah. remember. You can't remember because you weren't born. That's how yeah. that's how you feel for you, though. Yeah. You know? Well, but, I mean, I I want to live forever. I want to. Live. So hopefully, in my lifetime, 
they come up with the, you know, some serum or something to lift whatever, because I'll be having it. Maybe you'll come back as one of those cats and dogs that the American kids are talking about, self-identifying as. Carnate is one of them. Uh, well, that was uh, that was a end of a very philosophical conversation, Josh. Like, I was the conversation. I don't know why I was. I was the conversation that way. It's just I don't know why. Yeah, I that's it. Like, I, we're definitely gonna have more of these chats because I very much enjoyed that. But that's uh, that's all we've got time for this evening. Thank you very much, Josh Many, for joining us on the Untribal Podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? Thank you for listening if you made it this far. <laughs> I doubt many did, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cheers, Josh. Thank you. Thanks.